Well, we are back for another YouTube slash podcast session, and we are going to talk about lessons learned from Learn, Serve, Lead that was in Nashville in November. I wasn't there. So Lisa and Colleen are going to talk about it, and I will respond. Okay. <laughs> what'd, you guys, what'd you guys learn? What'd you guys learn? Teach me, teach me. Um, well, I went to an interesting session on Saturday morning. It was on equitable competency assessment. And um, so all the panelists were members of the coalition for the physician accountability and um, they presented the recommendations for the comprehensive improvement of GME, U UME, GME transition. I had to write that down. So, but actually I hadn't really read that um, document and it's very informative and had a lot of great suggestions. And so this group talked about um, three challenges. And um, so one was the development of fair and equitable assessment. The second one was readiness for residency. And the third was trust between UME and GME. So it was really interesting. They gave a little talk and then they um, we had uh, tabletop discussions. And this was like a really hot topic in the um, Learn, Serve, Lead because the room was so full. I mean, people were, they had probably 10, ta 20 tables with maybe eight people at a table. Then they had like maybe 50 chairs. And then there were people all around the outside standing. So it was really hard to facilitate tabletop discussions, but um, it was good, and so I noted some of the things that we had talked about in our group, and um, one was the overemphasis and reliance on using filters in the residency screening process, and how like not all applications get an in-depth review, and that schools are relying on filters like UMSLE, and so they were talking about how they need to leverage technology. Um, so I'm on Facebook. I go to Amazon and I look for something and then I'm on Facebook again and there's an advertisement. So why can't we somehow come up with technology that can read through these applications and, you know, maybe um, find the best fit for our schools. So Another one was using assessment for learning and growth versus using assessment for ranking and sorting. So that, um, you know, I think that uh, they talked about the GME programs need to feedback um, their resident performance back to the school that they attended so that they can like, better um, adjust their curriculum to um, uh, help their students. So, um, and then there was another discussion about the fourth year of medical school turning into a vacation for many students and how um, uh, students' skills and knowledge suffer during that period of time and how a lot of schools have um, created transition to residency courses for um, the, their students. And so um, there was a lot of discussion, but one of the interesting things at the very end when people were talking about ways to resolve this, a woman said, I think that we should just place medical student graduates into a residency lottery. Yeah. And everybody applauded. Yeah. So 
that I thought was interesting because I know um, like psychology programs have lotteries and that's how you get into your um, your uh, psycho psychology program. So it was pretty interesting and um, so it was a great session. I, just, I think it's just amazing because some of the, it seems like, I mean, I've been going to learn to lead for I don't know how many years and it's the same top. I mean, even though this is a hot topic, it still is like, like fourth year being a vacation, I think it's been talked about for like 20 years. Yeah. It's just so interesting. And um, I love the lottery idea, unless you, you know, maybe by region, because if you might, you might want to be in a certain region or something like that due to family or whatever. And then, because it frankly is all a crapshoot, like it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if they graduate from medical school, they should have the skills needed to do and perform well in any residency. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why we're scrutinized so much by the LCME. So, you know, I think if, if it is all doing what it's supposed to do, then yes, everybody should be graduating as like an undifferentiated physician. Um, by the end, they should be able to do, you know, um, do whatever they need to do in any program, honestly. Um, and I love that that was discussed. Um, I'm sad that I missed that session. Um, I'm sure I was networking or doing something with other people. Um, but I actually am working with a few colleagues and we put in a proposal to the Northeast um, GEA regional meeting this spring and talking about how we within the UME program could actually do a much more thorough job of our program evaluation if we got that data from GME. Um, so we have a residency coordinator on um, the proposal with us. So hopefully, hopefully we get accepted um, and we can have a workshop to really talk about like how can we all help each other um, in getting more um, meaningful data to show that we are graduating students who are really ready for residency when we, when we really stop kind of seeing them and and um, monitoring them at graduation. Yep. Yeah, love it. Yep. What else? What else did you learn? So I went to the session that Ronnie and Barbara spoke at. So it felt very necessary to attend the session um, with the secretariats. Um, just like Lisa described, uh, we had some tables. There was no table conversations, but the table seats were full and there was standing room only. Mm -hmm. um, it was a panel to talk about really the, um, the critical nature of the dean's role, which I think we all know that. Uh, they went into some more depth of how schools can get themselves into kind of trouble or those pitfalls of the dean not having a voice at the table that they need to have. And sometimes that is related to them having multiple titles at their school. So sometimes they are not just like chief academic officer, they're also maybe CEO of the hospital or the um, you know, chief academic officer of the entire health system. So it pulls them away from their um they're focused really on UME, and that can all that can cause obviously some tension with um, allocation of resources um, and ensuring that we have all of those things in place to meet all of the elements, um, the intent of the elements. Um, so they definitely talked about most of the elements in five uh, resources for clinical instruction. Of course, having a seat at the table to make sure you're talking with all the health systems you use, all of the leadership at the hospitals. Um, uh, sufficiency of faculty to teach, of course. Adequacy of financial resources goes without saying. Um, if you're at a school with multiple campuses, you know, what does the dean's authority really look like? Um, again, they really were 
they really were talking about this because they also provided some data at the onset of the presentation. The secretariats talked about that spring part two survey that we all fill out. Yeah. Um, and they asked the question about who's your current dean and how long have they been in the position? And then do they have other roles and are they interim? And I think it was something like 40% of deans have turned over in the last two years. It was a very high number of change. Mm -hmm. And a lot more of them are starting to have those dual roles within their institutions. Um, a lot of them really, again, related to the um, kind of more the clinical health system. Um, so it was nice, you know, to see a couple deans. So some deans who are from uh, larger health systems just talk about the importance of that and how they balance it. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the takeaways, and I'll, and I'll give a shout out to Greg Knoll from UPIT. He put together some really wonderful notes and sent them out on our, uh, accreditor, accreditation preparation and quality improvement listserv, APQI. So many of you listening probably are on there. And if you're not get on the listserv, um, contact one of us, we can help you get on it. Um, and he said, one of the pearls was that LCME accreditation really should be treated like joint commission. And I think schools are not taking LCME as seriously as they probably should, because we've worked with schools and worked at schools where they had some challenges that may have been resolved if um, they really took it as seriously as we do when JCO shows up at the hospital. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for me to understand why schools do not take it seriously because schools go on probation. There's tons of schools on warning. And, um, you know, I, I admit, like after we got done, we took a little breather for, you know, a few months, <laughs> you know, months, not, not years. And, and now we are, we are way, way back into it. And I just don't, I don't understand. And I think I was reflecting on this because I, with some of the schools that I've, you know, worked with, and I think there's a lot of turnover in schools too, right? So a lot of like curriculum dean turnover or student affair or whatever. And so I think that is a source of a little bit of that because they don't know what happened before. And they're just, you know, and if there's not a, if someone's not leading the charge to stay focused on that, it just, it falls away. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it's important to have an accreditation person, a person responsible yeah. for CQI, because they're the ones who are always keeping it in your face, getting it on agendas and making mm -hmm. sure that LCME is not being lost and not only focused on two years before a survey visit. So yeah, yeah, because two years before the survey visit is is too late. <laughs> yeah, way too late. Yeah. And I think it's also keeping an eye on pieces that do not directly, it is not black and white. Well, nothing's black and white necessarily in the DCI, but it's even not sometimes in the gray zone of the DCI, mm -hmm. but it all will feed back into your um, compliance and uh, meeting the intent of the elements. Even if I think on the surface, it doesn't look like the accreditation person should be involved. There is so much that feeds into it. The Venn diagrams are, you know, massive. Um, so it's yeah. it's always good to have somebody just keeping their eye on all of the pieces and parts um, as they move and change. Um, and as you lose that institutional knowledge, as you pointed out, Jenny, I think that is a critical piece of it too. Someone who also helps with the documentation um, and keeping the creeping track of that. Um, I know I have to continually do that at my own institution. I'm not even great at it because uh, there's so many things going on, but right, I right. do know going back, you just have to make sure everything's in the minutes. Um, you know, everything's documented. Other people have access to files uh, because we lose that information when somebody leaves. 
<laughs> excuse me, can I ask one question? Did they say if like that, if the dean's qualifications or the dean's accessibility, is that getting cited now more often? Because I have never, I don't think I have ever seen a citation for that, like ever. They did, they did not mention it, but the fact okay. that they focused emphasis on um, 4.1, which was the sufficiency of faculty, the dean's authority, and yeah. then fives like resources and all of that. Yeah. I can speak for myself that I've been at two schools that had got cited in the fives and it was really about Five, adequacy sure. of yeah. resources. And then yeah. the LCM is linking that with, again, how was the dean really involved in helping to advocate for those resources? Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. All right. Any, anything else? Well, we just missed seeing you there. That's for oh, sure. I missed it too. I, and I think, um, that's one of the other great things about Learn, Serve, Lead is the networking. And that I think that's almost just as valuable as a lot of the sessions. I know I've met a ton of, and I know you guys have too, met a ton of great people there. And just like when you're walking out of a session or you're stuck at that you at the table with some random people and then you realize all the things that you have in common and then you write papers together or you collaborate on a project together or you become you know great friends um, and colleagues that you can call on. So. That's a huge, huge, wonderful, wonderful part of learning to lead for sure. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. All right. Any last words from anybody? Okay. All right. Well, this this if you if you also weren't there or if you didn't attend those two sessions, now you have a little bit of insight into what uh, we thought were some of the big takeaways from Learn to Leave as they relate to medical education and LCME. And we will see you next month. Bye-bye, everybody.